And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who hates running clocks because he refuses to let time pass him by. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. I like the intro, but I'm all about the pitch clock. It is <laughs> nice. Well, that's perfect. It's your first time seeing that um, in full swing, I guess. Maybe you saw it in, in saw some it in minor the minors games. a little bit last yeah. year. Got out of those games nice and quick, and it was fun. It was a great pace of play. Okay, so let's, let's just go into it. You're down in Lakeland, Tiger Town. Been there all week. What, what are the spring training vibes? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's classic spring training. Everyone shows up. Everyone's in a good mood. Everyone <laughs> is either in better shape or added a new pitch or has some reason to believe they're going to be better than last year. And look, uh, you know, there are a lot of spring training cliches and tropes, but that is the beauty of this time of season. It's been nice to actually see some of these players in person. Not a ton going on this first week. You know, pitchers throw bullpens. Position players, mandatory report date is not until Monday. Most of the guys are already there, you know, taking some BP. Can't really do a ton of, of evaluation. Um, it's pretty light right now. But uh, it's, it's still great to be around the game. You know, I think that's how everyone feels. Kind of slate wiped clean from last year. And, and, you know, we'll see what happens as we get a little deeper into this camp. I know probably this will be a question that you might be able to answer a little bit better next week when, you know, the 100% of the team is there, some more AJ Scott availabilities or whatever, but you, you mentioned the wipe clean thing. With this team in particular, I don't even know if that's the analogy we should use. It's probably like learn from year like learn from everything that happened last year austin meadows learns how to kind of deal with you know some of the mental aspects of being a human being a little bit better you know that was part of his same thing with eduardo you know and then haas learned how to be closer to an everyday catcher now he is your everyday catcher uh that's kind of how i look at it but considering last year was such a disappointment i'm curious how much of that is like being a part of this Tigers team. Like, is like Spencer Torkelson is a great example. He has to talk about last season pretty much exclusively until the next season starts or something happens in spring, you know, training games and stuff like that. So I wonder even if there's even if it's the best thing to wipe clean or make this a learning lesson. You're like that you're remembering last year how things went and how that affects like the team vibes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Some of both. I think, I, I think everyone is, it's, it's like a reset, right? You know, yeah. everyone's back in a good mood, uh, no stats on the board at the same time. I think they have, I mean, Jonathan scope said it. he arrived Sunday and kind of started talking about his rough season and eventually said, I don't really want to talk about last year. It was really tough, but you know what? We learned a lot from it and it's going to be better this year. Is that true? Uh, who knows? But I, I think, you know, there's reason to believe um, just the personalities in the room, I think, are, are going to be a little better with some of the new acquisitions that were brought in. Scott Harris even has talked about that a little bit with culture and chemistry and big words like that being a little bit of a factor in certain decisions. So Chaz bringing back Matthew Boyd, you know, it seems like Maton and Veerling are bringing a nice 
energy to the clubhouse, some friendly competitions in BP. Does any of this actually matter? Does it translate to the game? I don't know. I'm pretty sure Jim Leland said, give me nine assholes as long as they're good baseball players. I don't <laughs> care. So, you know, we can debate that all day long. But it is, you know, that that just bad vibe, bad juju from last year is definitely in the past. And I think that's, you know, kind of what I've written. Like the the theme of this camp is renewal. You know, all that is is out the window. And now it's about figuring out how you move forward. Can I add another theme? I Go think I think hunger. This ought to be one of the more hungry teams that we've seen probably since you've been on the beat at least, which I know is not a long range of time, but you know, you got Eduardo trying to move past last year. Meadows trying to move past last year. You got Riley Green trying to prove that he's one of the best players. You got Torgelson who's hungry to prove that he is who you drafted him to be. Uh, Veerling trying to be an everyday guy. Haas trying to prove that he's he's your catcher. Uh, I know he's not on the field, but Scott Harris trying to prove that he can be a president of baseball ops. Like there ought to be a lot of hunger in this team. And Cabrera last year, uh, that would be another thing that I'd look for. I'm looking like when I'm reading your stories and stories that other people write. I'm looking at the quotes to see like, is this person desperate? Like, I, I mean that in a good way. Is this person desperate? Because I'm looking down the board, there's a lot of guys that fall into that category. Guys coming up on contracts. Javier Baez. Is he desperate to prove that he, free agency-wise, isn't a bust? Uh, Jonathan Scope. Is he desperate to get that one more contract, you know, the, that, that will be of substantial money before he kind of goes into the home stretch of his career? Matt Manning. Is he desperate to show that, yes, M. Effort, I'm a first-round pick. Y'all been talking about Scooble. Y'all been talking about Mize. Don't forget about me. You know, that's what I want to see. I want to see some desperation. And I know it's only week one, so I'm not going to ask you, have you seen anybody desperate? But I think that's something that, I th- that I'm going to keep in mind. I think everybody else ought to keep in mind. Um, I-, I have a lot of things that we can get into, but I don't. I, I got to go right here, right now, because I don't want to forget. Is there an imposter in spring training? You wrote about, you know, it happened years ago. You wrote about it last year. Uh, I got to know, is there any imposters? Have, have, is there an investigation underway? Uh, do you suspect anybody? Is there a body double for Alex Lang or anything? Like, are we, you know, what's, is there anything to that? You know, uh, not that's been found out yet. I was explaining <laughs> that story from, from the 70s, Jerry Levias and William Douglas Street. Uh, go Google it if you haven't. It is incredible. Um, to someone last night, and it just takes a long time to explain and to wrap your mind around and to realize it's even real. As far as I know, there are no imposters at this year's spring training. We have seen almost everyone in person. Uh, Colt Keith is not there, but I, he should be here Monday. Uh, I think a couple other guys. Almost everyone has talked to the media. Miguel Cabrera is supposed to talk to the media Monday. One guy who hasn't friend of the pod, Eduardo Rodriguez, if you recall last spring training, didn't really want to talk to the media. Then he kind of went missing for half a season. And then <laughs> in my opinion, we were all pretty kind and, and nicer, you know, in, in our coverage of that than we could have yeah. been. But, you know, Eduardo is, 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 is back to being Eduardo. So, uh, but to answer the question, if there are any imposters that are doing a really good job and have not been found out yet, which probably means they have some athletic ability, because that was the thing when William Douglas Street made his tryout. 
guy was not an athlete at all. You know, he was like throwing <laughs> with like a windmill motion, and they were very quickly like, "What is this?" And then the whole scheme unraveled. By the way, don't Google this story. You can go to Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. It's your pinned tweet, Truth. and you can read all about it. You know, we don't need to give Alphabet any more uh, of our traffic. So Truth. just, just, just a quick side note there. Uh, a guy that you know. You could argue maybe there was an imposter last year was Spencer Torkelson. You know, he just had a flame out of a rookie year. It just was bad. bad. We we haven't we we focused on the bad a lot, and that's where we're gonna go. That's the most important thing. But let's not forget some of those kind of lack of concentration errors that he had in the field last year. I mean, this is a he needs a full go. It's not just the hitting, obviously that um, that needs to improve. But I, I saw some stuff about how he, you know, he's going with a slightly smaller bat, like an ounce lighter and half an inch shorter, something like that. Had some recommendations from the likes of Mike Trout and, and some other guys. And, you know, that's all well and good that he's talking to people who are successful. And I'm sure that's not the only thing he's picked their brain about. But... We need to see some improvement, obviously, and I'm just curious what the mindset is that he's going into spring training with because I have said a couple weeks ago, I thought it was a more mental thing with him in regards to the hitting problems because there's just too long of a track record, even professionally, and you just can't like tell me that he is incapable of lining up 92 down down the middle you like i just i i'm not going to be able to wrap my mind around that that is a physical thing that he is capable of doing like you can't convince me otherwise so that makes me think it's a mental thing approach thing overthinking thing whatever a million things it could be but i think it's like a a mental thing for him so i ask you how has he been about camp i mean we're not we don't care about his bps at this point although i think somebody said it was like the best pbs had in a while so we'll Take that for what it's worth, I suppose, but I want to know what's in the noggin with Spencer Torkelson right now as he undergoes a crucial year. He definitely seems refreshed. I mean, Tork handled himself really well behind the scenes all last year, but there are also times you could just tell it was weighing on him. No one wants to struggle for as long as he did. Um, he's, he just seemed more relaxed. He just seemed more upbeat. Definitely looks uh, stronger. He talked about putting you know a lot of effort into... His, his conditioning, basically adding some muscle. So those are all good signs, right? From what I can tell in BP, the swing looks the same. I uh, can't really evaluate much in, in early BP anyway, but I, like, he had a few balls a long way. He's always done that in BP. I don't think there was anything, like, better or worse about his, his batting practice. Again, no super discernible uh, mechanical changes. I agree. I mean, there was it, it definitely became mental for him at one point last year. Uh, but that's what concerns me more than anything is how much he struggled against fastballs and pitches down the middle and fastballs down the middle. Because the mental aspect of hitting can affect a lot of things. Your swing mm-hmm. decisions, your, you know, how are you, are you rolling over an outside pitch? The one thing that should be able to get you out of a slump is a fastball down the middle. And that just didn't happen for Twerk last year. And I don't know that anyone could ever explain it. He was late a lot, a lot. So maybe a little lighter bat helps. I don't think it's because his hands were slow. I think maybe that was mental. It seems like he was just always 
um, you know, the, the classic hitting coach, you want to be yes, 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 no. It did seem like Torkelson was more, eh, okay, I'll swing. Uh, so, so I guess that's mental. We will see <laughs> if that changes. Definitely ready to see him face some live pitching so we can find out a little more. I mean, hell, I mean, that smaller bat thing could be a little bit of just a mental trick where you just go yeah. into it knowing that, all right, so it's a little... Oh, you know, I swing that, and it kind of feels like you know I got I got an increase in bat speed or you know whatever. So you know maybe that will contribute to it. Uh, another guy that is a proven major leaguer and just had the season from hell last year seems to be a theme for the guys returning from last year's team was Austin Meadows. It it, it was it was nice to see Austin. I think uh, I think the Tigers social media team had a little fun, kind of showing him and, and Parker walk in, where it looks like uh, looks like Parker is his pledge. Little brother uh, had to carry all the <laughs> stuff, yeah. And and it kind of did him a little dirty there, but uh, you know, it seems like he's bouncing around, all smiles. Like again, I emphasize this a lot. Like people have to, the anniversary of that trade was like like april was it like april 2nd ish like or maybe march yeah Yeah, like like it it was very very early or very soon into the season and his world just got turned upside down and i didn't mean for that to be a pun because he eventually got vertigo but like it those things uh you know those metaphors kind of coincide no i mean i didn't mean it It just but he did get vertigo he got covid achilles and like and then of course all the mental health stuff that he had to go through um, to see him smile was really refreshing. I'm not gonna lie, dude looks looks kind of jacked. I'm not gonna lie, looks kind of jacked. Yeah, you know that that's something you're having to do now as a at spring training is check out everybody's bodies. Everybody's writing about each other's bodies when they come out for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little weird, but no, he he looks way better. I mean, you could definitely tell after not playing all of last season, he just looked out of shape when he was still hanging around Comerica and working out a little bit in you know august september definitely looks a lot better um, a lot stronger and you know another guy just a reset can he get back to his form can he become the player he was with the rays again who knows i think there are probably still some mental hurdles to climb with just getting back on the field getting back in the rhythm i'm sure he needs to restore some of his own confidence after missing that much time but at the end of the day Austin Meadows I think is a really good baseball player uh, seems to be in a better space physically definitely a better space mentally he's talked about working with a great team of therapists um, so obviously kudos to Austin for uh, number one putting in the work number two continuing to be transparent and and willing to be kind of forward-facing with his mental health really commendable uh, just another guy that I can't wait to see in, you know, more live action to get a sense of, of where he's actually at, you know, as a baseball player. You know, I, I want to take a little time to talk about, you know, Meadows, uh, Mize, Turnbull, Eduardo for the journey, not necessarily that he's talked about it, but there's a, a decent amount of guys on this team that have, you know, been, have gone through it mentally mm-hmm. and, and, and come out the other side or at least been open about about that journey and I think that's cool I think that's great that there's guys on the team that are willing to talk about it because there's not that many more macho uh lines of work than professional athlete and we know men are terrible about talking about their feelings your host included 
So, <laughs> so like I, 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 I just want to give a shout out to all those guys for being open about it. Like I said, Spencer Turnbull, you talked to him uh, this week. Casey Mize talked about it, although he, you know, he's still going through it, obviously, with the rehab process. Uh, Eduardo got through his journey. I'd love to hear how he was able to do that. Maybe one day he'll tell us. Um, and, and, and Austin not. Meadows too, <laughs> and Austin, <laughs> and Austin yeah. Meadows too. So, uh, I just want to take a quick, quick note to say shout out to those guys. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my and Turnbull were great to talk to Alex Fiedo, same thing. Um, it's all these stories seem so slim, similar. These guys who missed this much time, especially rehabbing from surgeries and, you know, you hear about it so much that it's almost commonplace, but to think what that would actually be like to basically have your, livelihood taken away for 18 months you know jake rogers um and that finish line that light at the end of the tunnel seems so far away sometimes and i've asked almost all of them like what what did you do to just even kill the time you know um you know and everyone finds different ways to cope this non-roster pitcher trey wingarder came back from tommy john uh in i believe 2021 and very early on herniated a disc in his back you know missed a, a lot more time crazy so i talked to him about that um uh, not all fun and games being a pro athlete well you know it's just another reminder and you know we got so much to talk about i don't want to spend too much time on this but it, it's just another reminder these are people yeah and you know their profession was essentially taken away from them or their profession hurt them and then they couldn't do it you know so just just another thing to kind of keep in mind um so, so speaking of pitchers with tommy john and backs that was a big revelation this week regarding Casey Mize. And he said, it, I, of course, it's Casey, so he's not going to go into it or whatever But in terms of specifics. But I, this is, this is like a little bit of a tangent for me right now. I hate that injuries are hidden for the sake of the athlete that, like, we're talking about how much player x sucks and then it turns out six months later oh he was yeah. you know he had a la- he had a Very labrum true. injury the entire day or the entire season or you know mize it's like what's going on with mize why doesn't he you know we're just missing something here and it's like oh he's had a back injury for years and uh and then that probably or not probably it almost certainly had to be a factor in getting you know hurting his elbow or whatever so it just kind of irks me that we don't because I understand like the privacy element for the player, I do. But at the same time, you get people making these judgments about these guys, and it, that are just wrong because of circumstances and information that we just don't know. So that that's that just a little ta- tangent. I hate that for the player, is what I'm saying. But yeah, it's it's tough. And as an athlete, it's one of those things. Do I even tell anyone about this? Do I even report this injury? Casey talked about that with his elbow last year, and it was like a big step for him to have to go to the trainers and be like, "Hey, I got a problem." Well, I don't know if he had ever told them about the back or told anyone about the back before because they sure did a good job keeping that under wraps for until months after the surgery, which I, I don't know if it was a privacy deal or, or what. He ended up talking about it. I don't know why they didn't just get it out of the way at the time. And Of course, again, I asked, like, what was the exact back procedure and just got some word salad in return so I, I mean, <laughs> there's no such thing as a minor back surgery is what he said you know but he said it wasn't a spinal fusion he said other people have had worse so that is the extent of what we know but you know i guess bottom line he had some sort of back issue it seems to be surgically corrected i do think that you know back issues uh, 
don't go away so easily. So we'll be interested to see, you know, kind of keep that in the back of our minds regarding the rest of Casey's career. You know, but at the same time, right, clearly there were things bothering him. It really makes you wonder. What happened to that fastball command he was known for out of Auburn that was just uh-huh. missing or inconsistent a lot of the times we saw him? What about that splitter that was an 80-grade pitch that was uh, almost non-existent the last time he was pitching in the big leagues? Well, I think we're starting to get an idea that this guy had some things that were really hampering him. Um, it's still fair to worry about his long-term health. He's probably not going to pitch in 2023. Um, but the idea of a Casey Mize rejuvenated and healthy, uh, it, it, it makes you wonder if we can kind of get excited about him all over again this time next year. Yeah, and I mean, I have to imagine that, I don't know, I guess I don't know the exact trajectory of Tommy John recovery workouts or whatever, but it had to be some sort of setback in the timeline. It, sound, it sounds like it, and that's another thing Casey was a little vague about, but it sounds like they, they probably pushed him back a little bit because he was having to rehab it back on top of an elbow for a little bit yeah i mean and you're right back injuries are one of the things that scare me most and basically any baseball player it's all about torque and movement and all that stuff and you know pitching obviously is no different and uh i don't know wish him the best hope he hopefully recovers for 2024 because i mean it's another guy could be a sneaky addition to the 24 team depending on what happens in 23 but this is about 23 and a guy who has recovered from tommy john spencer turnbull who uh actually i, I gotta ask are you in works with 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 turnbo to ghost write his uh recovery book he says he could write a book about everything you, you know, know i'm waiting or? on i'm waiting on that offer to come in uh <laughs> haven't heard anything it'd help if he co- throws a couple more no hitters first and probably sell better <laughs> so we'll, we'll save it for a few years down the line but, you know, that's a guy that I know, I don't want to say we're the conductors of the train, but we were probably among the first to kind of get on the train of Spencer Turnbull. Like, been saying it, been telling you. And and I think I read that they're basically just trying to make, make him just kind of like have the right form. They're not really worried about where he's where the ball is going at this point is that is that where they're what they're doing i don't i don't remember seeing that no oh aj yeah aj made a mention of just like it's kind of watching him his mannerisms whatever not so much the execution i think they would still like to see him throw you know strikes in the bullpen <laughs> that would be a plus uh again and i'm not gonna judge much off his first bullpen his velo was good he said he hit 94 and that was the first time he had hit 94 his fastball at the big leagues averaged 93.9, so if he's throwing 94 early in spring, that's a great sign. His command was not like pinpoint or anything, but it didn't strike me as terrible. But that is the thing I, I do worry about with Turnbull, though. A guy who naturally doesn't have uh, the most pinpoint command, a lot of times that's the toughest thing. Takes the longest to get back after Tommy John, especially command of your secondary pitches. Turnbull relies heavily on the slider. So, you know, I wonder what his spring training outings will actually look like. Um, If anything takes a while, I think it would be that. But so far, all signs are pretty good, I think, with with Turnbull. Um, And and he seems, you know, very happy to be back on the mound. I don't, you know, it's just been so long. I don't know if this is correct or not. But is he the most violent guy, like throwing, uh, like, like motion? uh like you know throwing uh from the at least from the starting five is that i when i think of spencer turnbull i think of like a lot of whip action 
You know, he's, he's got those big legs, you know, kind of driving forward. He just seems like a, and also the bull yeah. name, you know, is he, like, is that? Yeah, no, it's a pretty, you know, intense delivery. Um, Matthew Boyd has a big leg kick. So, you know, his is, is I, don't, I wouldn't use the word violent, but, you know, there's some movement in Boyd too. Uh, you know, a guy whose mechanics are back to being kind of violent, Alex Fiedo, as some of you guys might have seen, basically it was like, Robin Lund and the new staff told me I can throw the way I used to throw, which he had kind of a weird little hitch in his arm action, and it's not sightly, and it sounds like the Tigers' previous regime uh, told him to ditch that not long after he was drafted. Well, he ended up getting hurt regardless, and <laughs> I was watching Fido in the bullpen just kind of herking and jerking, I was like, this does not look good. And then we kind of talked to him about it, and apparently, you know, Robin Lund has deemed that that is the most efficient way his body moves, or it's most natural to him. And they told him, yeah, just play like an athlete. So that's really interesting. Um, Fido's delivery looks looks much different. Is that our first uh, new way pitching staff nugget of, of the season? Is that is that it? That's, I mean, there have been a few little ones. That's probably the biggest one. That's definitely the first... The old regime catching a stray. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess in fairness, like... The, the... Actually, it's not. that We had Matthew Boyd being like, yeah, I had to like, do analytics on my <laughs> own and last time I was here. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're probably going to continue getting more of these. <laughs> yeah. Um, the things that come to light and the things that don't come to light will be the, the theme of comparing old regimes to new regimes. But that's interesting. Um, and also good for Fayetto because... Look, he's a guy that no guarantees, right? With with Alex Fido. So if you're gonna if you're gonna go down, go down being you, or you know, yeah. give your best shot by being you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. It's it's a little tough to know where Fido fits in the mix this spring and this season too, and it's not necessarily his fault, other than missing time with with injury. He showed some really good stuff. His first seven starts in the big leagues last year before his hip starting started bothering him but i'm thinking you got your starting five i'd say joey wentz is probably your sixth guy you got bo brisky might be like your seventh guy you know you got wilmer flores rising garrett hill like tyler I think alexander Fido is Fido's kind of down that list of starters but i don't know that his stuff really plays out of the pin it's good news for him is the tigers really seem to want multi-inning relievers uh, we, we I think we mentioned last week, none of the Tigers starters threw 100 innings last year. Um, I think that is in mind. They really want to emphasize length in the bullpen, but they also have a long list of dudes fighting for these jobs. So uh, it's it's not, it's going to be kind of a challenge, I think, for Fayetto to carve out a role, um, especially in terms of like the opening day roster. Yeah, and another guy that just kind of falls onto the... I don't want to say forgotten, but when a guy that kind of just gets out of sight, out of mind pretty easily, and then you remember, it's like, oh yeah, former first round pick, you know, maybe he'll he'll uh, raise some eyebrows with that new, the new old funky delivery. So good for him for for going about it his own way. All right, so probably the most interesting thing to come out of camp so far, I would say, in my very biased opinion is the Donnie Sand story. Uh, how he got here, you profiled that real well. I remember, was it last week's episode or, or two last weeks week. ago? Last week, I was like, oh man, this guy's got an interesting story. I was 
I was full of crap. I had no idea anything that was going on here. And just fascinating from basically being homeless to trying to find uh, ways to make money in order to th- survive in the off season. You know, it's a, it's a rigorous journey. These minor leaguers, it's not, it's not all glamorous as, uh, as you guys well know, but this Donnie Sands guy, uh, I don't want to uh, step on your toes too much, Cody. I mean, God, what a story, this guy. Amazing. It really is remarkable. Um, it's tough to even try to encapsulate it, you know, here on a podcast. So I hope you guys will go check out the story on The Athletic. But as you alluded to, um, it's been quite the journey. Donnie Sands lost his dad at 15 um, of a heart attack. And not long after that death, his, his whole world really unraveled. The family had very difficult times financially. You know, they lived in Tucson, briefly lived in Albuquerque. The mother, Alma, and her family originally hailed from Mexico. She really had a tough time getting work, ended up, you know, going to Mexico where her family was able to help her out with a couple of jobs. And this is all going on while Donnie Sands is trying to be a high-level athlete, you know, and an incredibly talented baseball player. That kind of led to him staying in Tucson while his mom was working in Mexico and the family was evicted from multiple residences that led to Donnie often sleeping in a 2006 Toyota Camry. Um, I can't imagine that, you know, being a high school student, a high school athlete, that's hard enough. Um, imagine not having a home to go to. Imagine not having, I mean, he, he's talked about he didn't really have clean clothes. All his possessions were scattered in the back of his car. He talked about he didn't always attend class a lot. I guess he somehow managed to do enough to pass and get by. Oh, and on top of all that, uh, he ended up being a Major League Baseball draft pick. And that's far from the end of his story. You know, he moved to catcher uh, just after a year or two in pro ball, and he was terrible. Like, he was really bad and worked his butt off. A big mentor of his was Josh Paul, who was on the Tigers staff last year. It was in the Yankees system at the time. Basically, he lived, he lived five minutes away from Josh Paul, stayed with the host family one offseason, uh, basically asked Josh, hey, if I stay in Tampa, will you continue to work with me? And Paul said, like, that's the, the only time I've ever had a player ask me something like that. And I said yes. And so they worked day in and day out for an entire offseason. Sam's work continued throughout the minors, and he went from having an absurd amount of passed balls in low A and high A to now being regarded as a very good receiver. Um, He's got tattoos that are kind of a a reminder of his journey all over his body. Absolutely an inspirational story, just the sheer fact he's here. And um, as it relates to baseball, you certainly have to wonder what is next. Uh, This guy's certainly in the, the mix of the catching competition and after you learn more and more about his story it's it's tough not to root for him well yeah it's it's tough not to root for him and i'll add it's impossible to bet against him because he's already uh, defied all the odds yeah he's defied all the odds and i i was every now and then i'm always coming up with like nicknames for people i think would be one i got one a little bit later but Foxhole Sands, man. I want that guy in my foxhole. Yeah, you know what I mean? I want that guy in my foxhole. And no offense to, like, Jake Rogers and the other catchers that they got. It's like, 
that's the kind of guy I want in a locker room. I'm sure all these other guys are great too, but like to to just to get to this point from where he started and the adversity that he's overcome, another guy that uh, has mentally been through it through the ringer in, in his life. Um, yeah, so. uh, I I just I, I just. It's going to be hard for me to want him not to be on the team, you know, just given all that facts, plus the skills, yeah. you know. You talked earlier about guys being hungry in this camp. I promise you, I don't think anyone is more hungry than Donnie Sands. Another quote from Josh Paul, this guy got to where he is not by working twice as hard as other people, but by working three, four, or five times as hard. Hard work is a, the ultimate uh, trope and clo- cliche in sports, but it seems like Donnie Sands absolutely embodies this. Um you know, and there's a lot of competition in this camp, not just a catcher. I do think that that is kind of a probably the most competition there's been for roster spots since I've covered the team. Not just veteran guys who are kind of penciled in or young guys who are going to play because they're young and you got to see the bullpen spots, so many up for grabs, infield spots, you know, third base, especially up for grabs, catcher, we'll see. So I wanted to share a story, you know, as, as, um, Probably most listeners probably know, grew up in the same area as Jake Rogers, played against him in high school, um, knew Jake a little bit. But I was talking to one of my buddies back home this past week, and you know, I'm a year older than Jake, so this guy is Jake's age. They played on the same like summer ball team and stuff together, you know, they know each other pretty well. And, you know, we were I was kinda of telling him about where Jake's at, Jake's back and he's healthy. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm actually writing this story about this other kid, Donnie Sands, and went on to kind of outline the story. And my buddy goes, wow, you know, he, he sounds hungry. <laughs> I go, yeah, he is. He said, that's probably exactly what Jake needs, someone to push him. Mm. You know, Jake wants to make this roster. Well, Donnie Sands is coming for that job too. So uh, that could in turn make both of them better. You know, we will we will see how that plays out. But I kind of agree with the premise of that. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's true. And I guess we can kind of go to uh, the 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 bodies present in spring training in general with the competition that you laid out. What was it? AJ said 19, 19 out of yeah, 19 whatever. Out of like thirty one position players are going to be playing multiple positions. Which I think leads to another bit of an interesting argument, if we want to get into that, is that yeah. better or worse for like a player's development? Um, mm-hmm. That question was kind of posed to AJ this week, and you know he AJ said he doesn't agree with the premise that like letting a guy get used to one position is best for the player. Sometimes you know maybe that limits you too much. Maybe a guy ends up being a better fit or even a better defender at another position. And I think there's some merit to that. I think this Tigers roster, look, it, it, it makes sense to have some guys mix and match and play different spots. But you talk to a lot of players, and Nick Castellanos is a great example. They don't really love moving around and being jerked around. And um, I do think just as an athlete, right, I think it's easier to kind of have one thing to focus on and go all in and give it your all. So I do... I don't know the answer to it, but I do kind of wonder a little bit, like, is this actually good to have this many guys playing all over the field? Yeah, that's actually something I literally had written down is like, is this a good thing? Because I, I think I you could talk. Forward, no. Yeah, because I think you could talk, your, especially if AJ's selling whatever side of the story he wants to sell, he's going to sell the hell out <laughs> right. of it. That's what he does. He's really good at it. But to, 
I when I say is it a good thing, I almost think like, well, it's probably not the best for anyone who's like really optimistic about the team's win loss, you know, <laughs> proposition, you know, because that's a lot of just trying to figure certain things out, and that's not to say that there's not value in that, but. You know, you you brought up Nick Castellanos. What about Willie Castro? Yeah. You know that whole that whole th- deal was that all that beneficial? You know, uh, I would probably. Well, say- <laughs> oh, you're done talking about Willie Castro in this one. <laughs> sorry. I don't think you I'm could sorry. just leave him at shortstop. You know, Willie was a case of like, all right, this isn't working. We got to move him somewhere else. <laughs> but you know, like you know, especially guys like Beerling, who. Need Veerling's to huge. I think get... Veerling's the case study. This guy has such sky high athletic potential. He's a guy I almost just want to be like, all right, dude, we're gonna put you in left field, and two years from now we want you to become an elite left fielder. He has the yeah. ability to do that. Versus, all right, you're gonna play left and right and third, and oh, you know, don't don't throw away your second baseman's glove. Well, you could even play first in a pinch. I don't know about that. I don't know. It, it, what, we just talked about Torque and how the world was spinning for him uh, when he was struggling at the plate. Uh, what if Veerling makes an error at third? Is that going to affect him the next time he's in left? Well, let's not forget that the biggest focus in Torque's first two years in the system was playing third base. Got yeah. Consumed a lot of his mental energy. Ended like, up being a waste of time. Yeah, I actually thought about various times during the offseason joking it's like what do you mean they had a third baseman they they draft one on well, and now you look back and it's like what what makes sense to put to work back in there <laughs> i was watching your boy justin Henry malloy um jay hen yeah jay hen taking some ground balls he had really good glove actions but his 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 feet were a little bit slow man i think twerks better on his feet than jay hen so uh we we i could kind of see why the braves had moved jay hen to outfield i hope i'm wrong and he can handle third but is he gonna be getting mainly third looks or is he gonna be getting he'll be playing equal... some third and outfield for sure i'm not sure if they'll use him at first uh but third and a little bit outfield does uh, <laughs> this is where Akil Badu's gotta be like? Why am I a left-hander? Right. Because if I <laughs> if I threw with my right hand, then I I could probably get a look here and maybe increase my chances of making this roster. You know, or maybe he's gonna try to pitch or something. He's like he's him and Riley and and Austin and are basically the only guys not playing multiple positions because I mean Carey's gonna get some first base spot, uh, action I'm sure at some Where's point that? you know they haven't experimented with that yet I think they should if just, it, everyone can play multiple positions except guys like Meadows and Carpenter who I think you should mess <laughs> around with at first base come on come on what are we doing what are we doing yeah why can't the, why go. can't those guys play multiple positions why don't they they never ask me they never. <laughs> Got a lot of friends of the podcast, but they just don't always take our advice. Is uh, <laughs> is the unfortunate part of it. Um, but of course, this all was part of the Scott Harris construction, right? Obviously, he's the guy making all these moves. And I was watching his MLB Network interview, and he talked about the the versatility, the multiple positions, and and how that will help them 
be able to piece together the most competitive team that they can. He used like a, a literal puzzle piece analogy. And I get that. Again, that's why I'm saying you can talk yourself into that angle. Uh, but but Scott Scott made a good point. Um, you know, he's he's just glad to be talking about baseball without like labor stuff and COVID stuff. I mean, is there any resemblance of COVID pandemic fallout in this camp? No. Good, good, no. good. So just talking, just you know, just it's all about baseball, which is great. Uh, you haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I believe that's gonna he's gonna do something uh, next week. Monday, yeah. But but what's 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 observing Scott Harris? What's he kind of doing? Is it's his first his first, the first team he ever put together? Pretty exciting for the young man. Uh, but how how is he during this kind of first week of spring training? Yeah, you know he's been out and about a decent bit. You definitely see him. I would just say talking with a wider variety of people than probably a lot of lead executives do. Certainly more than his predecessor did. You know he's not just chatting up AJ and other front office members spend a decent amount of time just talking to players around the batting cage. Uh, some have a lengthy conversation with an analyst. You know, I think those, does that matter? Does it not? I don't know. It seems like a good sign. He was around a lot. He was talking to different people. seems like he's made a pretty concerted effort to uh, get to know players, let them know his personality a little bit. AJ has had indivi- individual meetings with every guy, and, and Scott's been on, in on those too, and it's a time to really sit down and, you know, have candid conversations about where do you fit on the roster? What do you need to do better? What do you not? And so I think it's good that Scott and AJ, you know, are are presenting that as like a unified voice and just, you know, I think it's good for players to see their bosses because they're definitely front offices where um, that's just not the case. You know, the front office is kind of this mystical entity that never steps foot in the clubhouse and never really interacts with the actual players. I don't think that's great for their perception. So that's definitely been the the positive thing about Scott so far. Um, slowly working on his tan a little bit until he's been under that Bay Area <laughs> fog, you know. So he's got to get a little more sunshine, as as we all do. But yeah, you know, that's that's probably the other thing that stands out is like, oh yeah, the guys the guys glowing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I can only imagine the feeling of going to your first, you know, everybody talks about like the first spring training, the first major league camp or whatever, but your first spring training as, uh, you know, a number one, it's gotta be a pretty cool feeling. And, uh, so good for him. Hopefully a lot of these moves kind of pan out. We're going to, we have an update. We'll do this a little later. We do have an update on the Harris kind of guys rankings. So, uh, so I just want to tease that real quick. He did mention in this same interview on MLB network, he did mention, some of the stuff that, like, with the the rule changes, you started talking about the pitch clock uh, to begin this podcast and where there are certain advantages that can be had or what's going to be more important. And he said that speed and defense are going to be more important with, uh, obviously, the expanded bases, the pickoff stuff, and no longer being able to shift in a certain way. Is that it's, it's going to be hard to really get a fair assessment of, of what this all means until we kind of see it in action. But to me, that made a lot of sense because I I think this is going to make a higher focus on the athlete of the baseball player as opposed to the coach putting them in the right spot, you know. So I'm, I'm excited to see guys like Matt Verling. We've mentioned him a lot with the sheer athleticism. I'm excited to see guys like him and Badu and Jay Hen and, and all those guys that, you know, have these certain traits that make for exciting baseball. But is that kind of 
is that do you kind of align with that speed and defense become more important yeah than, i mean i think previous? speed obviously i really am interested to see this pitcher runner dynamic play out with the limits on pickoffs or disengagements as they're they're being called you know i guess those rules existed in triple a last season it wasn't like the the world was coming to an end but i just think I just think that it's going to be really different. Runners are going to be moving a lot. Talk to AJ about like, you know, are you worried about like first and third situations at all? Are we going to see like little league stuff trying to give that runner mm-hmm. from third an opportunity to break home? I, I just think, I think there are a lot of um, not unintended consequences, but a lot of just other stuff that's going to go on as a result of that. Defense with the limitation of the shift makes sense, but I would also say contact skills plays into that a ton because um, it's going to be easier to get hits through the infield. There is probably more of a benefit of putting the ball in play, especially if you are a left-handed batter. So I would I would also take contact skills into consideration. Hmm. Well, speaking of, of defense, you had written this week about like the whole switching of positions thing. Yeah. And go into that because I don't even know how to like set that up for you to kind of go in because that that seemed like that seemed like next level thing. Yeah, like this is another. I didn't stuff. even. I literally did not know that this was part of the rule changes. But you can flip players' positions not during an inning, but between innings. So you can't do it in the middle of an inning. Not under any circumstances. You'd have to make a traditional substitution. Um, but say. All right, bottom of the fourth, I'm looking at the lineup. Oh, the Rays have two left-handed batters coming up in the fifth. Well, you know, we're a little worried about Scope's range. I think Javi covers more ground, two lefties. Let's put Javi at second this inning, and, you know, we'll see what the rest of the infield looks like. Let's put Scope at third, and whoever's playing third, maybe Maton or Kreidler, they'll play short this inning. And you do that so Javi's playing on the, the right side of the bag and you think he can cover a little more ground, maybe stop a, a grounder from a lefty getting through the infield or something. Conceivably, you could do that under the rules. Don't know if the Tigers are going to do that. You know, AJ, that's what he said. He said, I'm not sure if we'll do it. He said, I can think of one team for sure that will do it. He was talking about the Rays. Uh, <laughs> I think other teams are certainly going to look into this. So that's really fascinating Can to consider that players will just be able to flip positions between innings. Well, it's weird that you can't do it in the inning. Like, I I, I guess yeah, I'm trying to figure out. Maybe that's a time out. thing, you know, guys having to switch trade positions. I, or just it could be exploited too much, too easily. I'm not sure. Because, yeah. I, mean, I it's kind just of kind don't of like that it's a rule, honestly. Like, I don't think yeah. that, like, I think you should still have to make it. I guess the idea is that You could just say, oh, our third baseman is playing where the second baseman should play, and our second baseman is playing where the third baseman should play, but we're technically still within the rules. So rather than like having all these weird technical loopholes, you're, they're just making it like a more formal, yeah. no, you can flip positions. Well, it's like positions are, I mean, it's all made up. It's all like fluid, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I don't With know. the elimination of the shift, they're a little bit more real, though. Yeah. So that that is fascinating. I you know you mentioned unintended consequences of, of some of these changes. I I was kind of thinking. I was like you know, I wonder if we're gonna see an increase in hit batters, and I mean mm-hmm. that because of 
if you're at your last pickoff attempt and you're just kind of stiff, but you don't want to step off or you can't step off, then you're just kind of forced to go forward and pitch. You might not be in the right, you know, body uh, symmetry to deliver the pitch where you want. And it might be, it might just be a fat one over the plate or it might get away from you. You might hit somebody. So I I just think because sometimes pitchers just do that to reset their you know what I mean to to reset their form and it, they're not really trying to like pick anybody off or whatever so I think that might lead to some more errant pitches that might lead to some more hit hit batters I'll be curious to see if, if I'm right on that. Here's a fun one to think about. So you've got speedy runner on first, O2 count, pitcher has already disengaged, thrown over a couple times. Uh, but breaking ball count, man. Guy's already used his two disengagements. The guy's thinking about going. Number one, pitchers do get a third attempt. And if they are successful, it's all good. If they're not successful, the runner gets gets the base. But say, you know, guy's getting kind of a big in the lead. You don't really want to step off because you're not sure if you're going to get him. You sit there and you hold the ball. You stare at him and you hold the ball until the pitch clock expires. All right, automatic ball. Now you got a one-two count. Now you get back on the rubber. That could almost be a method of holding mm. runners, uh, which I'm sure MLB would be like, no, that's <laughs> not. No, we put a pitch clock in so you don't do that. But it makes sense in certain situations. Uh, if you're in a leverage count, maybe just surrender a ball um, as a, a way of like saving one of your disengagements. I think that I think we'll see some teams do that. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of a lot of ways to try to exploit these new rules and 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 i'm looking for i'm looking forward to even sliding styles like you know with the wider bases do you get to go i was watching the tigers hold like a whole little powwow on tags with the new bases today and it was really interesting just thinking okay so the base is wider so you're actually set up further in front of where the runner is going to be coming in the runner's sliding further to the back of the bag that takes a longer time to get your glove there like it's going to be harder for guys to apply tags on base stealers. And that's such a small nuance that, uh, you know, they had to sit there and kind of go over and practice and talk about what's what's the best position to be in. Is, is it different than it used to be in the past? Um, got some perspective from Alan Trammell, actually, who <laughs> spoken like a true a true shortstop. was like, well, it really just matters where the throw is. If the throw's on target, you can still make the tag. And if the throw's bad, you're not going to get him anyway. So. <laughs> Well, you know, look, if there is a way for these rule changes to highlight some of the best qualities of Javi Baez's defense, I mean, all right, you're the tag master. You know, ha- have at it, Javi. You know, l- yeah. let's see it. And also a lot of pressure on, on the catchers, too. And we'll see how Haas, uh, Haas deals with that. By the way, uh, Jim Bowden, in front of the podcast, had Haas a couple of spots higher ranked than uh, Tucker Barnhart. So... Uh, you know, I guess the Tigers upgraded a catcher after all. Uh-huh. How about that? Um, all right. So uh, something else that struck me as interesting, and I'm not going to say odd, and it's still very early, but he was there. But no one really talked about him, and you just kind of saw a couple of social media clips or pictures. Riley Green. This guy is yeah. who's your Tiger, according to the Athletic Fan Survey. And... Not a lot of pub about the guy. I mean, he could get one of those big pushes this year to become one of the most young, exciting players in in the game. It's certainly in the cards. 
and it was just kind of like, oh, Riley's here. But in my head, I'm like, yo, Riley's here. What's he look like? You know, what's he doing? Like, this is the key for your franchise for the next five to ten years. So, uh, did I did I just miss something, or is it just kind of like, uh, you know, well, not, nothing much to report as of now? It's it's probably just because beat writers like me suck and <laughs> just aren't aren't giving the people what they want. That's uh, yeah, I don't know. We talked to Riley and had a pretty little interesting discussion about like his launch angle. I I, I asked him that because his average launch angle is like two point eight degrees. He hit fifty six point eight percent ground balls. And they got into a pretty big discussion of him being like, yeah, I'm super aware of that. Like, I learned from it. I was like, okay, so it was a focus for you to elevate the ball more? He's like, well, I wouldn't use the word elevate, you know, because guys don't want to be, one, labeled as, like, launch angle freaks. Two, I think Riley is such a smart, intuitive hitter, and he's very protective of his swing, which he should be because it's a beautiful swing. And he's, he's never going to be a guy who's thinking elevation, you know. he's He just wants to drive the ball, which wants to be in the air. So line drives go over the fence, too. That's always kind of been the, the style of hitter that Riley is. Um, but it got him in trouble sometimes last year. Uh, and I, I liked what A.J. Hinch said regarding that. Sometimes the best way to generate that angle is simple pitch selection. I'm not sure Riley Green hit 56% ground balls because he was chopping down at the ground uh, because he rolled over a ton. A lot of outside pitches, you would kind of go fish and you end up rolling over. I think we saw stuff like that from Riley a lot. So a lot of it might be a function of pitch selection. Other than that, you know, I think there wasn't more just because uh, what really is there to say? You know, it's like, here's Riley, you know, he, he could be really good. <laughs> Been talking about that for years. You know, I just thought, like, is there, like, a story I can write about Riley? And other than the hitting thing that I just laid out that I wasn't sure if that should be an entire story, I, I didn't come up with anything. So, you know, when we talked about, like, the walls coming in and, like, how that benefits him a lot and he didn't have a, a super, like, you know, didn't say anything crazy regarding that, so... Yeah, if there's something, you guys got any bright Riley Green ideas, <laughs> let me know. I'm, I will be writing about him. We will be hearing more. He'll probably, you know, go yard a time or two in spring training. There will be plenty of Riley to talk about. That's 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 for sure. Well, speaking of... I, I think there was just a lot going on between, like, Mize, Turnbull, you know, Torp. Like, those were kind of big storylines that dominated the week, I think, for us as reporters that felt like a more... There's kind of more of a news peg to yeah. it, you know, so those stories probably got a little more play uh, and where maybe next week you'll see more like Riley, Javi, etc. Well, uh, another thing that's, you know, he's there, but nothing really to talk about until something happens. Matt Manning falls in that category, does he not? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really see hardly any. No, Matt Manning, I actually don't think we, we talked to him and, you know, because he talked at that event in January yeah. in Detroit that we discussed on the pod. You know, I think I said then, this is kind of the last um, can Matt Manning, you know, reach his potential story that I plan to write. Because that's been the angle with him every year. And that's what a lot of the line of questioning was about in January. And that's kind of, I think we all wrote different versions of that story. And I don't have anything new to say about Matt Manning until we see him pitch. And then he will either do well or poorly or somewhere in between. And we can uh, probably 
end up writing another story like can Matt Manning reaches potential <laughs> based on that. I, I just didn't have anything new to say about that. And that's no that's no offense no. to them. Like I didn't have anything new to ask them. Like, let's see the dude pitch and then we can go from there. That's definitely a theme in spring training. There'll be some live BPs next week, uh, once you know, the official full squad workouts, and I usually think there's a little more to glean from that and kind of start conversations with guys. Well, I will say this. I meant to say this earlier, but I kind of forgot that there wasn't like the official report date for position players because it just it did really feel like like most of the guys and you said this earlier like yeah. most of the guys were there and that that's cool to see. Uh, I did kind of think like I wonder if the union ever is like told like the guys like hey don't report early just just report re- report the day of don't 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 get your chance to get hurt anymore or whatever. But anywho. Um, a couple of things we want to hit on. The Tigers did announce that they are changing the time for weeknight home games. It was 7-10. I have to do the hour change in my head because I'm in the central time zone. 7-10, and now it's going to be 6-40, which for me is great because I get home from work at 5. I take care of the zoo. You know, I change into some comfy clothes, and basically by the time that happens, Tigers baseball is going to be on. So that's that's. Perfect for me. Uh, is is you you in favor of moving the times back a little bit? Uh, moving them up, yeah, a thousand percent. You know, a lot of a lot of late nights as a beat writer, so this gets me thirty minutes back. You know, I'm sure my my girlfriend will be a fan <laughs> of it. My dog will be a fan of it. You know, maybe a little more time with with me, I can get home at a more reasonable hour. Uh, so I'm fired up about it. You know, does it affect certain? I don't know, 6.40, I still feel like that's plenty of time for people to get down to the ballpark or get home from work and get the kids situated and, and turn on the TV. You know, if you're living out on the West Coast, like, that's your fault for living out on the West Coast. You know, okay, come, come back to mid-America, baby. You get great weather anyway. So, you can love, deal with the early time. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and... With that plus the pitch clock, I mean, you might you might be you know home in a cool two and a half hours. Who knows? It's it's crazy <laughs> to think of how much more like time I might have. Uh, well, speaking of the TV, uh, we 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 got a question about this on Twitter, and I'm not really sure there's anything groundbreaking we can say about uh, the whole Bally, the regional sports networks going into the process of bankruptcy and. And I'm not sophisticated enough to really kind of go into that kind of stuff. But I will, I. I will say that you're not going to not be able to watch the Tigers. Like that is like some way somehow the games will be broadcasted. That's where the money is. I think uh, Manfred actually just flat out said this. Like they would, I wouldn't say flat out said. He kind of inferred it. They would prefer if the the regional sports networks, you know, kicked rocks and then they could kind of do their yeah. own thing and. Uh, in theory, get rid of the blackout restrictions and, and things like that. Uh, it, it was a big deal whenever Bally took over from, you know, what used to be Fox Sports Detroit and Fox Sports, you know, whatever region that, of the country that you're in. It was a big deal, and in terms of the overall product, it was fine. You're still able to watch your games uh, unless you had basically everything but like spectrum or something because they couldn't negotiate uh for crap but in te- but the games were on and the games will still be on tv you'll be able to watch them in what fashion that has yet to be determined but i wouldn't worry too much but it is a fascinating uh thing to to follow all right 
It's time, Cody. It's time for the updated rankings for the HKGs, the Harris kind of guys. Michael Lorenzen is number one. He wow, is number one because it occurred to me there's another characteristic that Scott Harris has put into the this team. He's just acquiring good-looking guys. You know, like, he's every single one of them is a banger. I was like, man, I kind of feel a little worse about myself. And Michael Lorenzen out there pitching, bursting out of his sleeves. I was like, Harris kind of guy. That's number one. He's kind of... I'm gonna call him Danish Thor because he's just he's just out there looking swole and intimidating, but also like kind of nice and subtle. So you know what, Michael Lorenzen, number one Harris kind of guy. Everybody else wow. is fighting for that spot. So we already have an update wow. one weekend. Well, dude is jacked, but previously pretty high on our Harris rankings was Matt Veerling. And already got a comment from my girlfriend saying she she likes the way Matt Veerling looks. So. <laughs> Who's really number one? I don't know. And your boy Jay Hen has strolled in with some sick Tigers hats. And just like, you know, some ones he went out and mm. bought on his own. Um, can't really describe it. I just say this guy has some good style. I, I dig his style. Yeah, I think we now know another characteristic. So trade deadline time <laughs> and free agency. We got to also look at facial symmetry yeah, to figure out. Because yeah. Scott Harris is a good-looking guy, too. A good-looking guy, well-dressed guy. You're not so wrong. So these are things that he takes in consideration. I think we have enough evidence to say that. Maybe you can ask him about it uh, as press conference. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, That'll get him to lighten up. Yeah. Maybe that's the, that's the way in. That's Scott. the key. Uh, anything else, Cody, you want to get into before uh, full-fledged spring training starts? Uh, no, not a ton. A colleague of mine, Evan Drellick, his book on the Houston Astros, Winning Fixes Everything, is out. There are some plenty of mentions of A.J. Hinch in there. Not a ton new regarding the Tigers manager. He comes off with a pretty positive depiction in the book. But a lot of great behind-the-scenes nuggets on Jeff Luno, on Alex Cora, Uh, the overall culture and shift in baseball during that era and the Astros scandal and kind of everything that led to it. Really well done, really rigorous reporting. Um, I'd recommend you guys pick it up. I shared this on Twitter, but I went to go get it last Tuesday, the day it came out at a bookstore, and the lady at the counter clearly thought it was like some self-help book. (laughs) And she goes, oh, winning fixes everything. Now I need to know. Now I know what I need to do. I just need to win all the time. And I didn't have the heart to be like, you know, actually this book is a cautionary moral tale of the pursuit of winning and like the consequences that can come as a result. Didn't tell her that. So. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to know when, when to get into it. And when, I was, <laughs> yeah, you just gave her like the fake laugh and you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, this was a lot of fun, Cody. A lot of fun to talk about things actually happening. We're going to be able to do that even more so next week. Looking forward to that. I want to thank everybody for listening, following on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod, Apple, Spotify. Subscribe, listen, review five stars if you feel so inclined, and subscribe to The Athletic so you can read all the great content that Cody has flowing out, including that Donnie Sand story, which I can't recommend enough. So, four. Cody Stamenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.